everyone. Welcome to Stock Market Live. Let's get those jams back going. There we go. Set a nice little lunch vibe for everybody joining us today. We are joined by the one, the only, the legendary Mike Saul, who runs the Monday webinars, What's Happening in the Stock Market. Austin is enjoying some time off this week, so we've got Mike. I hope you guys enjoy him as much as I do. We have a full show planned for you guys. I mean, we're talking about the, the most amount of graphics we've ever brought to the show. We're doing technical analysis. We're diving into the fundamental analysis, the metrics on the six company stock ideas that you guys shared with us at the end of the show last week. So you guys put us to the work, made us do our homework. I've got a full breakdown. I've got thoughts. Mike has thoughts. Mike, how are you doing, by the way? Doing great. Good news is uh, the air conditioning repair man is coming back today. So if you guys see me blip out for 10 seconds, it's because I have to answer the phone and tell the guy that I'm here and ready for him. Otherwise, I'm doing fantastic. I can't believe the summer's over. I'm sorry. I know that's a very cliche thing. I can't believe how fast the year is going. But uh, what they say is the older you get, the faster it goes. And yeah, it's true. So I tell everybody out there, no matter how old you are, enjoy your time. Yeah, no kidding. By way too fast. Anyway, well, let's get some shout outs. Oh, look at all these people here today. We got Christian. We got Elsie. We got Godwin. We got Joe. We got Chris. We got Mark. We got Roland. We got Sam. We got another Sam. We got Sammy. We got Sergey. Man, everybody joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today here live on the Zoom, on the chat, or if you're looking and watching us online, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, we're across all social media channels. And we want to remind you that this is an engaging show. So jump into the comments, jump into the chat, leave your thoughts, leave your ideas. <laughs> get the get your drinks if you're already at that point in the day. Um, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Even though it's only noon on the East Coast. But let's go ahead and dive into the show, what we've got planned today. So I wanted to kick things off because we get sometimes questions about the technical analysis side of things. And I like technical analysis, but I also like matching it with the fundamentals, right? So Josh, you're in the back there with us, joining us again today, as always, because Josh runs the behind the scenes of the show. Let's go ahead and throw up this first chart that we have. And this is a throwback that I want to bring to everyone's attention. Now, just two weeks ago, we were on this show and me and Austin Hankwitz were breaking down Disney stock. And also just full disclaimer, all the stocks that we're talking about today, I don't own any of them. I don't have any derivatives. I don't have anything like that. I'll let Mike share if he has anything in his portfolio on any of these stocks. But just so you know, this is just plain research and analysis bringing it to you. So let's go back to this Disney chart real quick. Now, if you were on two weeks ago with us, you remember I pointed out the gap below the price there. And Josh, go to the next chart. I told everybody 80% of the time gaps fill, right? There's still the huge gap above the market, but look at that. Not only does the gap fill, but the bottom of the gap actually produces a nice little support level that you see there. Josh, next chart for me. That one was pulled yesterday. This one I just pulled today. So I'm thinking about where are we going from here? I don't know, but look, there's two little gaps above the uh, Disney stock price there. And it's something I would keep an eye on. Obviously, you've got the 20-day moving average trying to level out. you got the 50 on the upswing, 100s, maybe trying to get a little up, and but it's still below the 200-day moving average. Something you want to take note of there. Um, just wanted to bring that, highlight that. Remember, gaps, they can be your friends if you know how to trade them. Um, all right, so let's dive in. Shall we, Mike? Real, real quick, I just want to disclose that my kids do own Disney stock. I don't own any, uh -huh. but my kids do, and not a lot. And it's not, this isn't the stock that you pump and dump. It's not a penny stock or anything like that. I'm not running out looking to sell it. It's uh, their grandfather 
who was who is at least the second best grandfather in the world, right next to my dad, but it's my wife's dad, uh, bought all his grandchildren a thousand dollars worth of Disney stock when they were born. My oldest, who is about to turn 17, his is worth almost 12,000 now without any any additional stuff. It's really awesome. And uh, the older grandchildren were a couple years older. Theirs are worth even more. But anyway, so uh, I'm not pump and dumping Disney. Uh, it's a powerhouse of a company and a stock i mean the management has been ruthless ever since eisenhower or sorry not eisenhower um but eisen right that's that's good enough we're taking it way back you know you know from the you know I, i appreciate a company that does great marketing and disney they now control the age demographic from the baby right and the the young toddlers going to get the disney ears all the way through marvel all the way to uh, now with the, the Star Wars franchises, all the way to adults. Like, look, what do you do when you want to know, uh, hey, how are the Mets doing? I, I know you don't know what that word means because you're down in Atlanta, but but, but uh, when normal people, uh, how are the Mets or the Yankees doing? What do they turn on? They turn on ESPN, right? So they control the whole demographic from birth to death. I mean, that's amazing to me. Anyway, again, this isn't a let's buy Disney kind of thing. I'm not running in and rushing in to buy Disney here anyway, but I just didn't want to disclose that my kids do own shares. And uh, I'm not using this webinar as a chance to sell it into the rush of people. Not at all. I mean, I love that company. We can hold it forever. Way too too much volume. But anyway, okay. Yeah, so we want to do, uh, Brian, thanks for joining us on Facebook. I see you over here buying now or continue to hold in cash. I'm guessing that you're asking about the overall market, which tees us up perfectly. Because, Mike, I want you brought two charts here to start it off. Why don't we go ahead and get an overall look at what's going on with the spies and the cues? Can you lead us through this? Josh, can we throw up that slide? Okay, so here is my S&P 500 chart. Uh, I'm using the SPY but you can use whatever index you want. You can use a cash index and you can use a a different ETF, but SPY is the the most heavily traded, the most volume. So let me just talk about what's going on here. I have two lines, they're called moving averages. The blue line is the 50 day and the black line is the 200 day moving average. Those are much watched moving averages. They're watched by institutions, they're watched by individual traders, they're watched by the media. Right. I always tell a a quick story. I met John Murphy, who wrote the book um, Technical Analysis of the Financial Markets. It was basically one of the most popular books of all time. And he used to tell me that when he went on CNBC, he used to get ribbed badly for charts. Oh, charts don't work. Charts this, charts that. What are you doing looking at charts? And then serendipitously, or whatever the word is, amazingly, a week later, I'm watching CNBC and Joe Kernan who was one of the biggest detractors of charts, not knocking him, I think he's a great anchor, I'm just saying he's not a big fan of charts, said, oh, look, AOL is approaching its 200-day moving average. And I'm like, well, really? You know, so even if you hate technical analysis, you still know where the 200-day moving average is. Anyway, it's a long-term moving averages. And what moving averages do is they smooth out the fluctuation of price. So rather than have to look at how jumpy price can be, especially when the market's volatile, people like to use moving averages to just get the overall trend. The 200 is the longer term trend. The 50 day moving average made extremely popular by investor business daily, William O'Neill's publication is an intermediate term moving average. So you see here, the S and P is below both of those moving averages. It got up to the 200 day moving average and rejected pretty Top ticked it. It top ticked it. Yeah. It ran right, right. It ran right into it and pulled back. Now you can also see on my chart, that I have this 50% number, 
What that means is from the low in June up until the recent high, we are now about halfway back. And that's another level that people like to look at. Again, you can argue as all you want about is, is it magic? Is it just uh, is it just luck? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter, okay? The point is, whether it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or not, people are looking at these levels and the levels that people are looking at, we should be looking at them too. We should be looking at what happens at these levels, right? You don't have to sit there and go, I'm always buying the 50-day moving average. No, you don't have to say that. But I want to know what happens when we get there, okay? Now, below that, we also have this line that I have sloping up. I'm pointing to it like you can see my finger, which you can't. But we have this line that is sloping up that is around 390, but it's continuing to slope up. That if we continue down, that could possibly be support. It is not a trend line now, Daniel, because it's only connecting two points two currently, points. and you, you can connect any two points anywhere on a chart. So that's not technically a trend line, but it's we're just looking ahead, right? So my motto is prepare, not predict. I'm just preparing. What happens if we do get down to that level? Now, the purple numbers, just uh, for, for people asking, what are these purple numbers? That is the equation, the low in June, which was $362.17 times 1.2, which is 20% above that, would be $434.60. Why am I looking at 20% off the lows? Well, the rule of thumb is a bear market begins when we are 20% off the highs, but a bull market begins when we are 20% off the lows. Now, again, that's up for debate. I don't think anybody should just use a straight 20% number either way. However, once again, I wanna watch what other people are watching. So if we get to 434 and 60 cents, some people will say, hey, we don't have a bear market anymore and we're in a new bull market. I'm not saying I'm gonna say that, but other people will. And I wanna see what happens. What happens if we get to that number? Do we just, does money come flying in? Do we get money flows in? What's going on there? So it's, it's definitely something to pay attention to there. That's what the purple number is. That's the spy. So let's check out the cues. What'd you bring us on the cues? What levels so are we looking Q, at? So on the QQQ, which is the way I look at the NASDAQ 100. Next slide, Josh, if you can. So uh, the QQQ, which is the way I look at the NASDAQ 100, but again, you can use whatever you want. You could see at, when I took this chart, right now we're actually bouncing a little bit. We're at 301.43, we're not at, when I, when I snagged this chart, but we are also below the 50-day and the 200-day moving average, and we're also below that 50% mark. But notice that similar trend line that I had, um, that I had drawn, on the S&P, which didn't hit it yet, the NASDAQ actually hit that line yesterday. So technically this could be a trend line. So far it is holding as support. So that's what the charts say. And overall, what I am looking for now is I am looking for this short-term support, whether it's the 50% back, whether it's the trend line, whether it's the 50-day moving average, which are all kind of bunched up here, I want to see if we can hold here and get a bounce. I'm not predicting that we're going to bounce here, but I'm preparing here. Okay, we looked at sentiment readings. If you look at sentiment readings, people are getting fearful and people are getting bearish again. I am a counter 
a contrarian by nature, right? So when people lean one way, I'm, I like to look the other way. It's not a signal in and of itself. It's not like Daniel's bearish. That means I have to go long, right? That's not how it works. What you're doing is you're building up evidence to one way or the other. And to me, when more people are bearish than bullish, that's telling me, well, most of the time the retail crowd are wrong. So what I'm going to do is that's going to go on the bullish side. Now I'm seeing a confluence of three different kinds of support. That's telling me, hmm, maybe I should start watching for a bounce here. So that, that's what I'm looking at in the overall market. I'd like to hear your opinion, though, Daniel, of course. Yeah, good point. I mean, obviously, we could talk about the overall market all day, but I mean, you know, if you've watched prior episodes, I'm a huge fan of Fibonacci and technical retracements and watching some of these levels because, as you mentioned, it might be that self-fulfilling prophecy, but it might just be that there's tons of quant machines trading based off of these principles, which might be why they are true, right? So that's why we always want to take a note of these technical levels and watching the trend lines and seeing if support holds. But like, as you mentioned, all we're doing is preparing for what comes next. Um, now, let's get off of the overall market. Let's start diving in to the individual stock picks that were shared to us last week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take over the screen real quick, Josh. Pull up Futu Holdings Limited. For everybody that hasn't heard of this company, because I briefly have heard of this one, here's a quick rundown for you. So Futu Holdings Limited is a mid-cap international financial investment banking and brokerage company based in Hong Kong. We're talking trading, clearing, settlement services, wealth management, IPO subscriptions, and so much more. The company just announced their Q2 unaudited earnings the other day. Uh, what are we looking at? We're looking at 9%. 9.6% year-over-year growth on revenue of $222 million. We have earnings per diluted share of $0.57. Cents. Total number of paying clients is up 38.6% year-over-year. But the total client assets declined 13.8% year-over-year. But, I mean, with current global conditions, probably makes sense. Total trading volume increased 2.4% year-over-year, which is positive with the daily average revenue trade and Q2 increasing Q1 year-over-year. Year. Obviously, you can see here, if we go into the Seeking Alpha, uh, here, actually, I'll just give it back to Josh. Josh, let's go ahead and throw up the ratings uh, card that we have for Futu here. Obviously, you can see it on the screen right there. Seeking Alpha authors have a hold on this stock. Wall Street analysts are a buy, and the quant rating is currently a hold. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, Josh. We get the factor grades that Seeking Alpha provides on these. The one thing that sticks out to me, obviously, is the valuation, right? It's the only D here. So why is this uh, valuation a D? I mean, the stock has been crushed over the last year. The stock is down over 50%. It's overvalued when compared to its peers in the financial sector. Uh, when it comes to, to metrics like price to sales or price to book, all those go within the valuation grade, hence the D grade here, but also the grade was a D three months ago. So it's not really seeing any improvement quarter uh, after quarter. Um, so you got to trust the metrics. Uh, oh, this is the other point is, first off, this is a Hong Kong company. So you're trusting the metrics. They're unaudited. You got to keep that in mind as an investor investing outside of the U.S. economy. They don't are they aren't necessarily held to the same gap of principles, the non-gap principles in the way that we report here. So you got to keep that in mind. It's worth noting the stock does not pay a dividend and the management just said on their earnings call that they have no plan of starting a dividend anytime in the near future. Uh, one notable thing about Fudu that I noticed was that the short interest is all the way up to 12%. So 12% of the float is something worth recognizing. Obviously, uh, it, it's been a meme stock. 
that's the simplest way to put it. That's why it's on everybody's radars. It was one of those stock names during the pandemic that people were just Wall Street betting. They were on Twitter about it. They were trying to pump and dump it. And uh, when we when we look at the charts here in a second, you'll know why. Um, so why do people like this stock? Uh, simple, the meme stock. It was trading around ten dollars when COVID hit. And it benefited with the tide uh, rising, raising all the boats, right? So beginning of 2021, the stock exploded from roughly $37 a share up to $191 a share. And personally, my take, again, this is my opinion. I'm not a fan of international stocks. This isn't one that I would probably ever touch in, in my own opinion. Um, I just like to focus on U.S. equities. Uh, but I think investors here should worry about the valuation and the regulation crosshairs that are going on specifically with anything around China or Hong Kong companies. Um, obviously, there's the, the Hong Kong and the China one. And, and you know, you see the news about Baba and JD.com and um, all the others. I mean, it's one by one. It seems like the news keeps coming out about the regulations. And what are we going to do? Are we going to allow these companies to stay on U.S. stock exchanges? Are we going to audit them? How long is that process going to take? There's a lot going on there. So that's something that you want to keep in mind, especially not to even mention Taiwan and China, right? There's a whole other uh, macro global thing going on there. Um, so let's go ahead and go into the charts real quick from my viewpoint. Josh, next slide. So I was looking at the technical analysis. Obviously, I have my Fibonacci numbers uh, drawn there. But also, this chart just looks horrible to me. I mean, all the gaps above the market is this, this stock is just tanked, right? I mean, makes total sense. The, the entire market tanked down into a bear market since the beginning of the year. That's what you're seeing here. Liquidity coming out of these high-risk names. We know risk has been completely crushed. Um, you're seeing some Fibonacci. I mean, it's just breaking through the levels, which you never really want to see, but it, it does that. Uh, you see the different moving averages going on here. Um, I think I did a, I did. Yeah. So this is a global view. So let's go to the next slide, Josh. I zoomed in a little bit. Cause it's like, okay, all that's great. We know that it's come down. Where do we go from here? Um, there was a gap below the market that you see that just filled. I think that was last week. Again, you see the bottom of the gap offering a little bit of support. We saw the rotation come back up, filled the gap above the market with that big old red candlestick right there came back down, we're seeing a trading zone. That's pretty much my opinion on how this chart is looking right now is you're seeing a trading zone, you're finding a base. Um, I have no personal opinion on if you should buy or sell this stock, honestly. Like I said, I'm a US equity guy. Um, but Mike, what is your opinion? I know you took a look at this chart as well. What yeah. are you thinking? Well, everything you said is, is spot on. I get very nervous with international stocks, especially stocks in China, because it seems like the rules of engagement change every week. Right. Uh, one day you'll see all oh, China stocks are up because the Chinese government finally said, oh, they're going to let the U.S. Uh, put their criteria on or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all blah, 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 blah. Right. Because that's because the next week it's oh, China decided that they're not going to let the U.S. Uh, have anything to say about how we list our stock. OK, well, you know, I, I so again, for a for a longer term hold, I, I couldn't agree more as far as a short term trade. You know, look, if you're day trading, I, I'm sure we have some day traders on all of us. Yeah, then some days it could gain some momentum and there could be some intraday patterns to set up and maybe you could you could grab something. But uh, Josh, if you go to my chart, which should be next, right? You can see here, I, I have a, a, you know, it looks, it's just a different uh, um, chart than what Daniel has, but basically the same thing, which is that gap up at 65, 62. That's going to be uh, a pretty significant line in the sand since it gap that gap was formed 
last November, and it's still below that for, for all this time. So uh, it had to look like what it had, what's known as a falling wedge. Those are those two converging lines. It broke out. It's above the 50-day and the 200-day moving average. You know, here's another thing, right? Is it 20% off the lows? And what what is the what is that low in March? For some reason, it's not letting me see that. I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't want me to... Maybe the Chinese government doesn't want me to talk bad about it. Okay. It's I think 21, it's 2121. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Or whatever it is, right? So it's it's more than doubled from the lows on, on the year. So what did I say earlier that the rule of thumb is 20% off the lows is a new bull market? Does this look like it's in a bull market? Doesn't look like it's in a bull market to me. So that rule of thumb, you know, like I said, it's one one thing, but you have to look at other things. So to me, I agree with everything Daniel said, plus some um, talk to me when it gets over 65, 62. And even then, there's even a gap above up around 80. So for a longer term view, yeah, I, I don't know. And it's, it's it's tough to trust international stocks and, and Chinese stocks. Or um, meme stocks, because this was a meme stock. stock. Right, also right. a meme stock. Oh, absolutely. But for day trades, as long as you have your risk parameters on and, and you understand, and I'm not saying today, I'm just saying if the volatility kicks back up here and, and, and you know, you know how to time your entries and you're, you're risking, you, you understand what your risk is, then maybe it could be one for your watch list. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to, to be looking at this. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So, uh, so that was food two holdings that was pitched to us from Walter last week on the zoom chat. Thank you, Walter, for that stock. We're going to go ahead and move on to the next one, which is Palantir. Um, and this one was given to us from Jorge on zoom last week. I'm going to go ahead and pull up the seeking alpha site. We're up oh, getting a little ahead. There we go. That's all right. Um, Palantir. I want to make sure you guys see this PLTR pull it up on the seeking alpha website. So what does Palantir Technologies do? Palantir Technologies is a large cap IC company based out of Denver, Colorado. They make headlines with defense companies uh, since one of their largest clients is the United States government. They provide a few software platforms that are not only used in counterterrorism investigation and operations, but claim to help people organize and realize patterns within their large data sets. Um, for instance, I thought this one was pretty interesting. They've helped identify a 200 billion US dollar Russian money laundering operation, and they assisted the FAA in minimizing air travel disruptions recently with all the pilot shortage and everything else going on. Um, so they're a big data, data warehouse, help break down the data, analyze the data. They recently announced Q2 earnings on August 8th. The good side was uh, U.S. business generated more than $1 billion in revenue in the trailing 12 months. The bad side is they missed consensus on revenue for the quarter, and they lowered year-end consensus, which is never a good sign. Uh, let me get this back to you, Josh. Let's go ahead and throw up the rating summary tab. Obviously, you see it there on the simple page as well. So the Seeking Alpha authors, Wall Street analysts, and the quant rating system all have a hold on this stock. And let's go over to the factor grades. Factor grades show that there are a lot of Ds here. Never a good sign to see. Uh, valuation, momentum, revisions. The forward PE for Palantir is 143 times. Let that sit in a second. I mean, this stock is only <laughs> priced around the $8 range, but you're talking about 143 PE forward? Uh, come on, get out of here. Um, in the last three months, Palantir has had nine down revisions on both EPS and revision, uh, EPS and revenue revisions, hence why the revisions is in a D plus. And then also 
just for the stock price. I mean, you're going to see that momentum grade be a D as well. Um, the tricky thing for Palantir here is that they have a few big clients, one of them being the U.S. government, as I mentioned. So if they were to lose one of their big clients, they're going to lose a huge chunk of revenue, which is never a good sign as a business. Um, analysts, Rishi Jaluria, from, I think that's how you say the last name, from RBC, recently pointed out that the new, the net new value of deals from the U.S. government in Q2 was $25 million, which you're like, is that good or bad, right? That is down 81% year over year. That is not good to see one of their biggest clients not giving them the contracts that help keep them uh, supported and alive, right? Um, they want their foundry product that they have to take over AWS, which kind of makes me laugh a little bit because I'm thinking, okay, AWS is huge. They started the, the entire website poll from the data service space. The margins are super impressive. It's extremely hard to get your data off of there. I hear people talk about Snowflake. It makes it easier. I don't know that much information about that or how it is or not. Um, but honestly, my take is if people are leaving AWS, they're probably not going to Palantir. They're most likely going to somebody like Microsoft for the Azure cloud, right? Because Microsoft can offer them so much more as a commercial client, where Palantir is very much, I think, focused um, on supporting their big clients like the U.S. government and focusing on the secrecy of data and privacy and helping with special missions, et cetera. Um, and there's no dividend on this company. It's not even profitable yet. So let's get into the technical analysis I have for you. Uh, go ahead and do the next slide, Josh. There are a few little gaps above the market. I would take note of that. Uh, I do look at that 618 Fibonacci retracement all the time. Obviously, you see it broke through recently on the waterfall sell-off, went up, retested the level, and could not get over. So that is something to make note of as well. You're back in this little balance zone that goes back to, uh, looks like May um, is where they had that little balance zone. So you might see it kind of hover around here for a little bit. Long-term, this company needs a lot of help. I think that's the easiest way to say it. And they need a lot of help. They need to be able to diversify to more commercial clients, um, as well as diversify their revenue stream, get their gross profit margins, and, and really become a competitor. I mean, they're in a hard space with all the software and the data. So um, that was just my take. Mike, what do you got? Let's go to your chart and see what you got to say about it. Yeah. So let's be clear, right? The, the stock and the company are oftentimes different, right? They're not the same thing, right? So let's talk about the company first. They've never made money and they've made statements that they don't never think they will make money, right? That's on the company side of things, right? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's nice that they're punching up at AWS, but like you said, there's a lot of hurdles to get through. How about the Google Cloud, right? Forget about yeah. Microsoft, which is which is a big enough, right? How about the Google Cloud? How about uh, on-premises, which there is a big trend to actually moving on-prem? Now, believe it or not, there was the big trend, everybody, let's get off-prem, right? Because what is the cloud? The cloud is just being on somebody else's server. That's all. It's still physical. It's not, it doesn't exist in the, just in the atmosphere, right? So people are moving back to on-premises, believe it or not. So not only do you have to fight that, that, then you have to fight all the, I don't want to call Microsoft a second-tier cloud provider because they're not. You have to, but you have to, you know, the top tier ones, including AWS, which like you said, very tough, very tough to fight with them. And, and why would you? I read a stat once that they, AWS attempts to get hacked, I read a million times a day. I, I think something like that, they try to hack AWS. So why would you give up that type of security? The fact that they can, for the most part, right? Once in a while you'll see an outage, but very rare. 
right? Most of the time they have the best security and the best list. And now all of a sudden they're going to move to somebody else. I don't know about that. Let's talk about the chart. The chart came out, the stock came out as a direct listing at $10. Uh, that's how it IPO'd. $6.44 is the all-time low on the stock from back in May. I think it's going there. The chart looks absolutely terrible. Again, after it uh, came off of $6.44 and went up to whatever, $11, whatever. Is that a fresh bull market? Because it's more than 20% off the lows, right? 20% off 644 is what's that? A, a doing math quick in my head would only be $7.34.5. It went much above that. Not a new bull market. Look at the slope of the 200-day moving average. It's coming down very strongly. Uh, that's a, a sign that the long-term trend is down on this. The stock looks terrible. I, I don't think that this is a stock that I am going to want to get in anytime soon. Could there be a catalyst? The only catalyst I'm seeing, Daniel, you make a great point. What if they lose one of their big customers, right? Look, a recession is either here or it's coming soon to a theater near you, right? The U.S. government, they spend, they don't care. They'll keep spending no matter what, right? So the fact that the U.S. government is one of the clients is great. But what if somebody else, what if somebody leaves? I mean, it's it's the most, it's, it's an incredibly valid point. Then what happens? So again, I, I don't like the stock. And I apologize to any, you know, the other thing too, don't take this personal, whoever asked about this, and maybe you're in it from higher prices. Nobody's saying that you're dumb for being in it or anything like that. This is just two guys' opinions here. And we're looking at the chart. That, that's all we're doing. So that, and that's a take that deserves an air horn. Um, no. And I mean, it's, it's exactly what we want to do, right? We're here to help provide a set of eyeballs, a set of analysts, a, or a, a set of looking into the earnings, looking at the chart, just providing another opinion that maybe you're exactly on the same boat of, as we are. And you're thinking, Oh, this stock has dropped so far. Maybe now's the time to get in. I'm not going to get in here personally, but maybe it's just like, we want to provide a, a, viewpoint that can either agree with you or combat you and just have this dialogue and your or to present this so that you have a dialogue with yourself whether this is the right stock for you um we just want to help that's why we're here so let's move on to the next stock uh we want to move to an international company coca-cola obviously i don't even know if i need to to give you guys the full rundown everybody knows this company but let's go ahead and just jump in to it a little bit uh, Coca-Cola manufactures, markets, and sells various non-alcoholic beverages worldwide. It operates through a network of independent bottling partners, distributors, wholesalers, and retailers, as well as through bottling and distri distribution operators. The company was founded in 1886. Let that sink in a second. And is headquartered in my city, Atlanta, right. Georgia. Coca-Cola earnings reported in July delivered a positive earnings report earlier this earlier the week. That included street beating figures for Q2, non-GAAP EPS, revenue, and guidance, all three across the board. Uh, non-GAAP earnings for a share of 70 cents, which topped estimates by 3 cents. The company also surpassed revenue estimates by $730 million in a quarter where the world is going in turmoil. Think about that too. Reporting a total for the quarter of $11.3 billion. Uh, even more valuable to investors, Coca-Cola raised its future guidance despite the challenging macro backdrop. Coca-Cola now anticipates organic revenue growth of 12 to 13% compared to the prior expectation of only 7 to 8% growth. I mean, the new management is actually doing a really phenomenal job. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and ask Josh to throw up the rating summary chart. Obviously, I'll point it out. You saw it again on the symbol page. I'll say that time and time again. Seeking alpha authors are a hold. Wall Street analysts are a buy, and the quant system is currently a hold. 
as well. Let's check out the factor grades. We see the factor grades. We have a D for valuation and a D for growth. Um, it's not a stock that's there for you to get rich quick. I mean, that's that's what kind of this this highlights to me. Um, it's a it's a solid long term dividend play. Speaking of dividend, it does pay a dividend. The yield is currently two point eight one percent. It's a seventy percent payout ratio, which has actually come down from ninety five percent during 2021, which is a very good sign for investors, right? Management allocating their revenue and their their uh, their new revenue properly. Um, pretty much, so payout ratio for those that don't know, if it gets towards 100, over 100, kind of start to worry as an investor, as a shareholder, okay, are they gonna be able to sustain the dividend? Are they gonna be able to grow the dividend? The lower that number is, the more favorable for you. Um, I think that's a pretty easy way to sum it up. And Coca-Cola has grown its dividend over 59 years, even during the pandemic. This is such a powerhouse of a company. The moat around this company exists. The products are internationally well-known. You talked about marketing. My marketing for this company is insane. They know how to strike the emotions. They're in with sports. They're everywhere. You go to the movie theater, as you just mentioned. By the way, I saw Regal Cinemas is doing $3 movies this Saturday. If you have a Regal near you, you can go check it out. Um, Coke is everywhere. It always has been, it feels like it always probably will be. They are acquiring new beverages there. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't acquired Celsius and all these other companies. I mean, Monster, I'm sure they probably looked at at one point. They have a large runway at home, uh, ahead of them. Um, UBS just pointed out today that they think this is a high conviction stock pick. They think management's doing an excellent job. Um, let's look at the chart. Let's look at the chart of Coke. Because obviously, like I said, this is one, oh, sorry, dividend grades. Completely forgot about this. So here's the dividend grades offered by Seeking Alpha. Obviously, I mean, those are solid grades across the board. This is a long-term dividend company. If you want to have this in your retirement portfolio, that's probably a good idea. Um, if you're investing for the long-term horizon, that's probably this is probably a great stock to have within your portfolio as an allocation. Um, I mean, the, think about it. If you go to a Coke, go get a Coke from a, uh, a gas station, right? If the Coke costs a dollar or a dollar and 10 cents, you're probably still gonna buy it. If you want a Coke, you want a Coke. And they have that pricing power um, with their brand name. Now, next slide, Josh. So this one, there it is. This one I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, this is the daily chart, by the way. You see, there's a huge gap. I forgot to highlight it for you guys. So there's a couple of gaps below the market, obviously with the, the nice turnaround that the company has been doing since the end of last year. The thing that worries me about this chart from a technical level is if you want to get into patterns, I don't always get into patterns, but I drew this little white hyphenated line. It kind of is looking a little bit like a head and shoulders to me, um, which I want to take note of. Obviously, if a head and shoulders pattern breaks to the upside and fails to cross over to the downside, you could see nice price appreciation ahead. But I think this one has gotten a little outside of its range. Uh, so what I did is, you know, there's a saying, when in doubt, zoom out. Next slide, Josh. I zoomed out to the weekly chart on this. And you can see the long-term trend line before the pandemic. You see the long-term trend, you see it, you follow it, and you would have made money buying at the bottom line, selling at the top line time and time and over again. I mean, it's just what the chart shows. It doesn't happen every time, obviously, as you see on the chart as well. Uh, but it looks like this one might be a little extended. I don't know if Coke is, you know... Can it sustain at these levels? Maybe it needs to pull back a little bit, reset a little bit before it has its continuation higher. But I'm not trying to day trade this one. You know, I wouldn't try to day trade Coke. I would maybe say, oh, I want a dollar cost average and over a long amount of time for a long time horizon. 
but that's just what I'm noticing. Mike, you have a chart as well. What are you seeing? Okay, so let's talk about the company, right? Sugar water never goes out of style. Um, it's why it's one of Mr. Buffett. I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, Warren, some guy out in Nebraska or something, or I don't know. What, the legends? Guy. What is it? He's a day trader or something like that, right? So anyway, yeah. so right, so sugar water doesn't uh, go out of style. Uh, fantastic point you made. Yeah, okay, here comes inflation. So instead of paying a dollar for a Coke, you're paying a dollar ten. Yeah, they're still gonna buy it, and they're still gonna buy it over Aussie Cola and Pepsi and everything else, right? Yeah, I know Pepsi has a big market share also, but mostly because of what else they own, right? But um, you know, Coca-Cola is the premier sugar water, for lack of a better word, out there, right? Uh, and then they're, they're probably right. You can never say never because we've seen uh, some big falls from Grace's. That, I'm speaking about General Electric overall, but uh, you know that there are there have been some falls from grace, right? But but it's it's not it's doubtful that uh, Coca Cola is going anywhere, right? Because even in times of recession, there's something called the lipstick effect, where you like to go out and hey, you know what? I can't buy the boat, I can't go on four vacations a year, but you know what? I still want an icy cold Coke, right? I read an interesting stat, and this is a little off off path, but I know it's short on time, so I won't go crazy on it. But I read a recent statistic that people were talking about how some high-end restaurants were hurting, but actually low and mid-range restaurants are still booming. Why? Because people are moving from the high end down to low end. And that's why like the, the provider, I forget the name of the company, I can look it up, the provider for frozen French fries from McDonald's, that stock is doing incredible because people are going and they're still buying French fries. And Coca-Cola, in my opinion, falls into that category. People are still going to drink Coke, no matter the health uh, the health crazes, right? Yeah, you know, if you're, uh, you know, you shouldn't be drinking Coke. If you're on this paleo or keto or whatever, you're not supposed to have the sugar. Okay, well, that's a, a fringe group because the most part, my, look, my kids are a fringe group. They're not allowed to drink soda, right? But my wife, she pounds Diet Coke. She loves it, right? Uh, I used to be a Diet Coke, Diet Dr. Pepper, huge fan. I haven't drank soda, luckily, in, in years. But whatever it is, uh, we're fringe groups. Most people still go and they still buy Coca-Cola. Now on the chart, we broke down out of what looks like could be a triangle. We're below the 200, uh, the 50-day moving average, which is the blue line, but we're still above the 200-day moving average. And again, even if we push below the 200-day moving average like we did in June, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a sell. Let's sell it right now. No, that's not what it means. It means it's an area to watch. If you go to the next chart, Josh, this is a monthly chart of, no, no, I, I had a, a second Coca-Cola chart if you got it. I don't think we got it. That might be okay. on me. That's all right. That's fine. I had a second chart of Coca-Cola. It was a monthly chart and it just showed yeah, there have been some wiggles and there's been some volatility. It even went down during the pandemic crash, whatever it was. But in the end, it's been in a solid uptrend since the 1960s. So, yeah, this is a very good stock. Like, I, I totally agree with Daniel. It's not a day trade stock, right? But it's something that you may want to consider uh, if you like, if if you want to look at it in your uh you know, there it is. It's just a monster, right? Straight, monster not straight stock. up. Not straight up, but also, you know, not really. Yeah. So again, good, uh, a decent dividend. It's not beating inflation yet, but it's, a de it's still beating, it's around the 10 year, whatever. It's a decent uh, dividend. And it's just, you know, when you look at it from a business side, where is Coke going? 
When are people going to raise their hands and say, I'm going to, you know, it's a comfort food, right? A, so a Coca-Cola is a comfort food. And the more stressed out people get, you know, if, if there's a recession, if times are tough, what do they want to do? You know what? I'm going to have a Coke and a smile. And I know there's caffeine in it. It's not always great, whatever. That's fine. But it's still better than, of course, the, the some of the other alternatives. Anyway. I'm going to give people a little sneak peek here. Obviously, uh, so we're on Seeking Alpha and we have the Peers tab, which is always cool. Um, there's the ratings against competitors. Keurig, Dr. Pepper, obviously we know. PepsiCo, we know. Pepsi has more than just soft drinks. They have snacks and everything as well. The one thing I want to point out for everybody about Coke too is also remember that you have international companies around the world that act as um, pretty much like the bottling companies. So Coke has the recipe. They sell the recipe, license ingredient the makeup pretty much to all these other uh, Euro Pacific partners or Asia partners or whatever they, they might be called. Those companies pass royalties back to Coke. And that's how you kind of have an international effect to where you can cut down on all sorts of expenses. Um, so that's where it's like Coke is bigger than what you think. Like you think Coke is just based out of Atlanta, Georgia. No, Coke is always going to be international. They've got arms all over the world. Um, and, and it's look, I don't think it's the number one brand in the world. If, if you want to know, I think McDonald's is, but Coca-Cola is up there. You see that red background with the white swoosh, you, you know, it's Coke, right? But so, yeah, they're really ingrained in our society. So anyway, not, not to mention, they also, I mean, they, they teamed up with McDonald's, right? Like I remember growing up seeing the McDonald's commercials where it was like, go get a Coke from McDonald's. And then like, you hear the refreshing thing and you're like, oh, that's Coke. And then you're better. Like here's my all McDonald's of those. Glass. Here it is. Here's my McDonald's glass Coke glass right here that you can see it, see it but it says Coca-Cola. These are my favorite <laughs> glasses I drink out of every day. Anyway. Anyways, let's move on to the next stock. Thank you for so much for uh, pitching us, Coke. That was a fun one to dive into. We're going to move on to MNRL is the ticker of our next one, Brigham Minerals. This was given to us from D uh, by Dave on Zoom last week. So this one I had no idea about. I didn't know anything about this company. So this was a fun one for me to research. This is a small cap company based out of Austin, Texas. It's an oil and gas company focused on exploration and production. It focuses on areas only mainly through the U.S. Think Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, and North Dakota. It also collects royalties from other large name operators drilling for oil and gas on their net royalty acres. So pretty much... They own a lot of net royalty acres, you know, big companies like Chevron or Oxy or whoever, um, pretty much pay them a royalty payment to drill on their land. So a quick earnings peak, uh, record daily production volumes of 13,019 barrels a day currently. Um, they beat on their EPS and revenue, but what oil and gas company didn't? Um, the revenue of 90.88 million dollars is up 140 percent year over year. Um, let's go ahead and pull up that rating slide, Josh, of their ratings. Obviously, you see it. Uh, no Seeking Alpha authors currently cover the stock. That's why you won't see a rating there. But Wall Street uh, has a strong buy on the stock, um, and the quant is a hold. Let's go to the factor grades. It's pretty mild across the board, uh, not best in the sector. It's a smaller company, and it feels like management is more risk-averse, which is nice to see in the sector as the time going forward through the rest of the decade. We're seeing you know EV adoption and everything else. You've really got to find – they're going to drill for oil and gas. Who are you going to sell it to? You're going to get the jet fuel to the airlines. I mean, you got to, you got to really think ahead here. Um, this company would have been better of starting, you know, decades ago. <laughs> um, they just announced a recent acquisition as well. Uh, Avent natural resources assets in the Midland basin, which is in Texas. That's, it seems to be an area that they favor pretty well. They're paying, they're paying up $132.5 million in cash for that. Uh, their CEO, Rob Rusa said, adding, 
um, that he views the deal as the highest quality Midland Basin package we've evaluated to date. Uh, and they said they kind of played the long game on this one in order to get this acquisition set up. And they think it's going to estimate it's going to increase their estimated production around 750 to 950 barrels per day, 60% of that being oil. Uh, this company does the dividends a little weird. That's, I mean, that needs to be set up front. It pays a 2.08% dividend yield. Um, did I bring the dividend grades for this one? I forget if I did. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, go to the next slide, Josh. Boom, there you go. So dividend yield, 2.08%. Payout ratio, like I mentioned just earlier, it's over 108%, something I want to watch. The dividend growth is zero because their dividend is just super inconsistent, um, pretty much random, which is why the dividend consistency is a D+. Uh, they did highlight they actually highlighted a lot in their recent earnings that they paid a variable dividend so the dividend was the highest that they've ever paid well yeah because they made so much money and the company didn't have a way to utilize it for growth of the company so you give it back to the shareholders um so let's go to the chart for this one to point out this one uh obviously has had a nice little pullback i mean it follows oil prices almost to a t um fibonacci is is providing a nice little support i mean you can see at the 618 it goes up it touches it comes down it touches again and on the third time it broke through came back for the retest dropped down below it i mean this thing is kind of just hovering right there right now um oil and gas i mean this is something that you got to think about personally as you invest for your portfolio if you already leveraged in other companies like chevron or exxon mobile or some of those other big players you probably don't need this one um I don't know if, uh, if you know, long-term investing-wise in this entire sector is the smartest idea. I mean, we're always going to need oil and gas. That's my opinion. There's always going to be a need. Um, but it's kind of, at some point, you got to remember OPEC controls everything oil and gas. As much as we want to believe the United States, I mean, look, we can be self-sufficient, but it's an entire global market. Oil and gas, it's sold and managed in dollars, right? As long as it's managed in U.S. dollars, we got to play fair. Um, we're going to try to help, you know, Europe out this winter with natural gas, but the infrastructure is not there. I mean, there's a lot of things like that. Uh, Freeport would be that play on LNG probably as they restart the, their exports. Um, Mike, what do you think? Are you a big oil and gas guy? I mean, you can't not be, uh, this year, right? Because it's one of only two sectors, uh, that are up, right? One of only two groups, whatever you want to call group sectors. Like, uh, but you know, look, great point. And I love when people complain about, oh, and this and, and, you know, gas prices, it's not, they're not set by us, right? This is, I mean, gas prices, I guess, are, but it, they, they can be part of what us, but the oil supply, if we decided, uh, you know, hey, you know what, we're not going to let OPEC run things, we're going to do things, it would cause major, major problems uh, across the world, right? And, and that's, this is a whole topic for a cover for this could be a whole webinar right and i'm yeah. nowhere near you you've got to bring michael boyd on which i know you have already but he could much more speak to this than i can but yeah i mean it's tough to look at uh what's going on in the oil sector right now and, and not be interested in it if you go to my chart josh you can see here this isn't a really big mover and uh what i another thing that i'm looking at here is the low volume Right, so this is uh, below the price chart is a volume chart. As long as it's over 500,000 average a day, it's okay. I I'll keep it on my radar, but this is barely holding that line, right? It averages about 525,000 shares a day. It's not really a lot of shares. 
Uh, looks like it'll probably go back up and test those highs, but that's not a, a big move from here. So again, uh, to me, you know, what a, you know, in the, the contrarian in me says, sure, you got to be around oil and gas because uh, that's what's hot in the market right now. But the contrarian comes on this shoulder and goes, whoa, that's the kind of thing you have to worry about getting overbought. And overbought just means it's gone up too far too fast, right? So maybe it's due for a rest. So that's why oil and gas, I'm a little, and, and all the points you made about this one, absolutely 100%. But to me, it looks like it could probably go to the highs, but that's only a couple of points from here. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. Not to mention, uh, you know, oil and gas will definitely get affected if we do, in fact, go into a recession like people are talking about next year. So you got to keep that in mind as well. Um, obviously, we watch the gasoline futures, the, the, the oil futures, WTI, the Brent feud futures um you're seeing a significant yeah, pullback and, and but then there's analysts like goldman's goldman sachs analysts coming out saying it's about to rip higher right it, there's a lot of crosswinds right worried about supply you know there's a, a supply issue and this and that and he, you know but you're right if there's a recession and people stop manufacturing stuff and stop going places and stop this yeah there's going to be you know if demand starts falling well guess what there's going to be less energy use. There's going to be less oil and gas use because the production of the of it and the shipping it and all that stuff. So yeah, your points are all valid. And and you're right, Goldman. I think I read Goldman came out with two different targets: one like oil in the three hundreds and one in like the sixties. I think I don't know. It all it's so sometimes it gets so confusing that you just gotta go to the chart for your single for not your single source, but one of your sources of truth. Right. Exactly. So, Exactly. Jorge, we do see you in the comments. I see, uh, appreciate your comments on Palantir. The only point I got confused is that Palantir does not compete in cloud computing, but analytics and AI, they are very much into analytics and AI. Um, they could use Amazon, Google, or Microsoft as a cloud platform. I would encourage you actually to go to go to the Palantir symbol page on Seeking Alpha. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll find the earnings and the earnings presentation. In their earnings presentation deck, they literally spelled out, we want Foundry, their Foundry product, to pretty much replace AWS. Like they say, I think it was something along the terms of what AWS was in the last decade. They want Foundry to be for this decade and going forward. Like they pretty much want AWS to pretty much move their entire enterprise over onto Foundry um, to help people analyze their data and, and use the AI and analytics like you're talking about. So something that I would just recommend you go check out the symbol page and dive into those recent earnings because they did talk about that a little bit. Um, we're going to move on to the next stock here real quick. Uh, Devin on LinkedIn actually gave us this one last week, one that I never heard of as well. It's called Butterfly Network Incorporated. So this small cat company is based out of Connecticut. It is a digital health company, but it seems to mainly focus around creating more tech advanced ultrasound imaging solutions. Think of machines that connect to things like smartphones and tablets. That's what they want to do. They do offer a few other medical software solutions as well. And the company has a huge international vision to pretty much, I think, revolutionize how medicine is done around the world. Um, they have a partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the products are being sent to Kenya and other areas in South Africa with them. Uh, but not only that, but their products can also be used on pets, which led to their recent enterprise solution with the national chain Petco here in the States. It's a product called Butterfly IQ Plus Vet, the world's only handheld single probe whole, whole body multi-species imaging system. And it's designed to bring valuable clinical insights to veterinarians at the point of care. Um, so they're branching outside of just one kind of you know, path of what their solu their solution is, um, which is interesting to me because I think if 
you have Petco, then you can also have a bunch of other small players, uh, vets all around the nation that might double down on this as well. Um, now, important thing to note here is it's not a widely covered stock. Uh, it looks like only one Wall Street analyst actually covers this stock, um, which is pretty interesting to me. I think uh, you'll see, we'll touch on it again here in a second, but factor grades, the revisions in F. So it seems like there used to be two analysts on the street um, that were covering this specific stock. Now it's only one. That's usually not a good sign when people start dropping coverage. Um, but let's look at recent earnings. Earnings announced beginning of August says revenues up to revenue was 19.2 million, up 16.3% year over year. Adjusted EBITDA, though, was a loss of 37.8 million during Q2, which is actually up by almost 10 million over the amount of loss in the Q2 of 2021. Usually not a good sign. Um, Josh, throw this back over to you. Let's throw up the ratings. Obviously, see them there. Seeking Alpha authors are a hold. Wall Street analyst is a strong buy because it's only one analyst. Keep that in mind. And the quant rating is a hold. On the factor grades, go to the next slide. Revisions is an F, pointed that out. Um, but also profitability is a D. Keep that in mind. It's just not really there. It's probably because it's a newer company. Um, they're trying to do growth at all costs. So that was the game. It's not so much the game of the overall market right now. So keep that in mind. Uh, profitability is a D, like I mentioned, EBIT and EBITDA margin are horrible. They have a crazy amount of levered free cash flow in the trailing 12 months, uh, meaning it's not the best place to distribute net cash flow to shareholders with the amount of interest payments and tax obligations it currently has. Their gross profit margin on their product and services are in line with the overall healthcare sector, but they're, they are bleeding cash uh, trying to obtain the growth, as I mentioned. The only thing that does feel a little promising to me is their cash and cash equivalents on hand uh, is 310 million and their total debt is 32.17 million. I think it was Peter Lynch who said, you never have a company really go out of business that has more cash than debt. So keep that in mind. Um, but the company doesn't pay a dividend and it probably won't for quite a while as it's in its growth phase. Let's go to the chart, check out what's going on. Kind of pulled it back on the weekly chart because I wanted to see the overall picture. Obviously, I have this white hyphenated line here across the middle of the screen about the $10 level. And why is the $10 level? Well, it was a SPAC. This was a SPAC company. So during the SPAC boom, it came public, it had the nice price appreciation, pretty much tripled uh, right from the get-go, and then just took everybody and wiped them out. Waterfall sellers probably came in. Um, this is not a great-looking chart to me on the TA. Um, obviously... Uh, moving averages are a little whack just because it's on the weekly and, and it's a newer company. Um, not really looking too favorable. You're starting to see a little bit of a bend upwards on that. That's the 20 day of the weekly, which could be promising if you just want to look at a weekly perspective. Um, and if you're trying to watch the Fibonacci here from the top to the bottom, you would see uh, the 618 is back up around $18, $19. So might there might be an opportunity for a trade um, over the coming years, but we're talking years. So there's a lot that can change as we all know over the next few years. Um, medical industry, ultrasound, keep it in mind, uh, not really an industry that I'm personally interested in either. Um, Mike, what do you think? What are you looking at your chart? Yeah, so just to do a chart, but Daniel did a great job on the fundamental side and explaining what it is. On the chart, had that big pop of momentum in August, nice push through. But talk to me when it gets above 966 and, of course, $10 because it was a SPAC. Uh, you see resistance above at 920 and 966. All I'm doing there is using previous swing lows. Uh, it had the 
big push forward, but look at that failure down, right? That's called a first rise, first failure pattern. It did hold the 200-day moving average, which was good. It did get a bounce, but again, I, I don't know what the long-term prospects are on this. Uh, Chart-wise, it just looks like it's a little vol volatile kind of deal. Talk to me when it gets above 966 and preferably $10. Yeah, it's a really great take. Great levels to point out as well. Um, I want to ask you, Mike, do you want to go ahead and announce what this last stock is? I think this is the one that everybody would be uh, most interested in. We we should have teased it at the top of the show, but yeah, uh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> what we are we did, doing for this last one? Give them the name. Okay, so the last stock we're going to look at is everybody's favorite social network uh, network stock network company, Meta Networks. There it is, Meta Platform. So obviously, a lot Meta of you platform. here joining I us apologize. today. I apologize. I always get it's. You'll always be Facebook to me. So okay, so Meta Platform. That's that's I exactly apologize. how I was gonna start. All right, so here's my here's my spiel on Meta. For I mean, everybody knows, but just for anybody that might not, Meta Platforms, formerly known as Facebook. And before that, it was the Facebook. Is a large cap international child falling from grace. The company operates between two segments, family of apps, those being Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger, and the Reality Labs segment, which is the metaverse endeavor with Oculus. Now, the big question for this company at the moment is how do they adapt not only to the Apple privacy changes, since they get the majority of the revenue from selling targeted ads, but also can they actually pull off Zuckerberg's long-term metaverse play, uh, which so far has been a laughing stock. If you've seen any of the image or the news over the last coming weeks, I mean, everybody was just laughing at how bad it looked. Um, Meta's Q2 earnings were not good either. The EPS missed by nine cents and revenue missed consensus by 129 million. News came out yesterday on August 30th that hundreds of Facebook contractors are set to lose work and that they are shutting down their gaming app venture after two years. So obviously, you uh, let's go to the, the deck. Josh, go ahead and throw up that slide. Seeking Alpha authors are a buy on meta platforms. Wall Street analysts are a buy on meta platforms, and the quant is a hold at this time. Next slide, the factor grades. So the one to note here is growth, obviously, right? That's just, it makes sense by this point. If you know anything about meta and what's going on with the company and how this stock has been crushed, right? Uh, growth is D minus. D minus. It's mainly due to, to Meta's working capital growth, which makes sense. The growth of the company has definitely slowed down, as we all know. And the biggest sign users can note from the strain that the company is feeling is to go to Facebook and Instagram and just count the number of ads that you see in your stories or your feed. I mean, they are literally pretty much to the max at the amount of number of ads that they're throwing at you now without damaging the user experience overall. Not to mention TikTok's eating their lunch uh youtube shorts is eating their dinner i mean this company is just feeling the pinch right now um now that's not to say that they're not going to bring in a sizable amount of revenue uh they still have great gross profit margin but the earnings revisions for this company have not been healthy by any measure in the last 90 days there was only one upward eps revision and there were 36 down revisions for earnings per share and 47 down revisions for revenue. So the street seems to be completely over Zuckerberg's metaverse playground venture. Um, and meta does not pay a dividend, although they very well could. So what do I think? Uh, I think this company is struggling bad. Obviously, they recently increased the price of their VR headsets, two months before they're about to release the new version. That's not a good sign. Um, they haven't figured out how they're going to solve the problems of targeting ads as far as we know. Uh, the higher quantity of ads is going to ruin the user experience over time. 
Um, and I believe, I, I mean, this is my personal belief. I believe that the world is going to want augmented reality over virtual reality. Now, not to say there's not going to be a space for virtual reality. Um, think about creativity, think about product design, the, the automobile, automobile design, you're seeing stuff like that. Obviously, gaming is going to be huge in virtual reality. I can see that. Um, but for overall productivity of just everyday life, I think it's going to be AR. Um, we've heard Zuckerberg come out and talk about how he believes that the metaverse is really going to be Facebook versus Apple. Um, and I don't know about you, but if, if I was putting money on it, I would choose Apple probably every day. Um, now, this chart, let's go to the next slide. Oh, this chart. Oh, this chart, Mike. This chart, man. Um, I mean, obviously look, the, the stock came out at IPO. We all remember that. I think it was like $40. It crashed the next day. And then it's had a rip up to the upside. It's been crushing it. Absolutely crushing it. And as you know, stairs up elevator down. This is the weekly chart, by the way, everyone. Um, the weekly chart is, is rough. You see it bounce along there on the 20 day moving average for the majority of the way. Every once in a while it drops down to the 50 day on the weekly and bounces off of that. Obviously, uh, there's you could call a double bottom maybe there, but you know we saw the rip to the upside. Um, so I was like, okay, this is this is a little painful. Uh, so let's zoom in a little bit. Let's go to the next slide, Josh, because I'm like, okay, where are we at now? What's tradable? What's actionable? Um, now, by the time I pulled this this morning, we of course had a gap up. Everybody might have seen the news today: Snapchat cutting 20% of their workforce. The big, big news, once they came out and announced it, Snap saw the rockets to the upside as well as social media stocks. We saw that across the board. But what you're seeing there is it's bouncing off of the 50-day moving average. And the 20 is above the 50. I don't think it's probably going to get back to the 20. There's that gap that is that it's already started entering that gap to probably do a gap fill here in the market. It might get to the bottom of that gap, find a little bit of support, and do a nice little reversal. We'll see over time. Um but that's what I'm noticing from the TA levels. Uh, obviously, the 200-day is very slowed down. 100-day is very slowed down. I mean, this, this, this almost reminds me of PayPal, right? When PayPal stock went up to, I think it was 300, got cut after earnings, and people were like, oh, it's going to turn around, and then it got cut again. I mean, they are in, on the struggle bus right now. So, Mike, what's your take? Meta Platforms. Yeah, so if you go to the next, uh, the next slide. So, so let's talk about the company first, right? The fact that they're cutting contractors is a sign that they're, they're starting to feel the pinch of the economy, right? So the first thing to go are contractors. Why? Because you don't have to pay them severance. And you don't look like you're a, uh, you're a bad, uh, you're not laying off employees. You're just laying off of people who, are, who just, you know, they're, they're just contractors. So that's the first sign. Uh, number two, you're dead right with the, the Apple versus Facebook war. If I have to pick one, I'm going with Apple. Uh, it's a much more fluent customer. It's a much stronger brand, right? There's a lot of things. In my opinion, Mark Zuckerberg is the brand of, of Meta, and I, I think he's damaged, right? They settled the Cambria Analytics thing, and who knows what else. For an undisclosed on. amount, so we got to wait to see how that turns out. Exactly. I mean, he, and, you know, look, they, they were subject to the biggest FTC fine in history, five point whatever billion dollars, which turned into 11 days of their top line operating revenue. Yeah, they're flush with cash, so Wall Street loves them. I get it, but... I think they're, they're going to struggle. The Oculus, my son, who turns 13 in a couple of days, he wants the Oculus. He wants the $500 version. Don't think he's going to get it. And especially since you just now have told me that they're coming out with a newer version, I will kick myself in the tuchus if uh, there's a new version coming out. So he'll have to wait. He may be getting a delayed uh, 
a del- we'll get him a nice pair of slippers or something to hold him over, but then we'll get, he'll get a delayed Oculus, right? More around, I guess, uh, Christmas time. But regardless of that, uh, it's amazing because 40% of users of Oculus report getting nauseous while using it. That's the other thing, too, just to let you know that. I don't know how, yeah. big, I don't know how many iPhone users, what percentage of iPhone users reports that. So if I'm making a bet, I'm betting Apple over Facebook, over Meta Network, sorry. The platform, Meta Platforms. I'll say it right eventually. Okay, let's look at the chart, all right? The chart you saw is in a consolidation pattern. What usually happens when we go sideways like this is when we finally break, we usually get a move equidistant to what that range is. It's just a rule of thumb, okay? It's not, it has to go this far. No, that's not what it what it is, okay? So I did the math for everybody, but really for myself, up above. So the range is 183.85 on the upside, 154 and a quarter on the downside. That's those two lines I have drawn. That equals $29.60. If you take $29.60 and take it off of $154.25, a measured move for Meta platforms inc i said it officially now would be 124.65 that's 2018 lows that's the end of 2018 so now again we could break to the upside and if we break to the upside if we break above 183.85 then you want to throw about 30 points onto that a little bit less and then what you got there is you have this thing going to 213.85 which by that time the 200 day moving average which is that black line you see sloping very down very hard that could come into play there so i'm not saying we have to break to the downside i agree with you the chart looks awful in my opinion it did not get a good bounce with the rest of the market sure it got a bounce off the june lows for a little bit but it didn't go it didn't scream it didn't get 20 percent off the lows right that rule of thumb and it was one of the first ones to roll back over right it's, it rolled over before the s p hit the, t- the 200 day moving average so this in my opinion is a weak stock again Company and the stock are always separate, right? right. Company has a ton of cash. Uh, they are look as much as I hate them, although I'm on them, I'm on it way too much, right? The Graham and the book, right? It is the number one social media company. All right, you're right. YouTube Shorts and TikTok, especially, I mean, is crushing them. But it's still they're still the king, right? They're still the king of social media right now. So again, you know, you always have to keep that that in mind. And you definitely don't want to look back a couple of years from now and go, wow, how could we not have would not have seen this? But I'm with you. I think it's going lower. I think it's going to at least that 124.65 number here. We'll see that. Oh, the great. Also, Jorge, I gotta, I gotta say great uh, point there on Palantir. I, lo- I love that response that you shared. Everybody should read that in the chat. Um, Sammy says, if I were to pick two heavyweight stocks that I think will sink more in the mid future, it's Facebook and Apple, both third is Tesla. Interesting viewpoint as well. Apple. I think once Apple gets into cars, I think it's game over. I cars think it, or AR glasses, if they can price the augmented reality glasses and really nail that, and I think they're probably the only company that can really do that. I mean, we, I got the watch, I got the AirPods, I got the phone, I got the Mac. I got, I mean, we, I am so Apple ecosystem ingrained. And if you tell me, hey, put on some glasses that give you more computer screens and actually work, whether it works off your phone like your watch or not, I mean, they have the majority of the software already there. Um, I think they can pull it off just me personally, but they got to release it, right? We have the September 7th iPhone event. I'm not sure we'll get a surprise with the glasses this year. Um, right. a lot of analysts are saying maybe next year, 
but we've been saying that for years now. So we'll have to see what happens with that. And then of course the car, like you mentioned, um, but Jorge asked you, uh, is meta a long-term bet? If I'm thinking long-term, what do you think, Mike? I've got an opinion. I'm not, not right now for me. Uh, not right now. Not when it's under a, a long side bet, right? I'm assuming he means long side, right? Yeah. To me, no, okay. not when it's not when the 200 day moving average is trending down like that. Not when it's basically showing very poor relative strength, even if it doesn't dive and go to my 124.65, it's not really that big of a move, right? But even if it doesn't go there, what if it just keeps going sideways? It doesn't pay a dividend. So what 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 are you gonna do? You're just gonna oh I, I hold Facebook. Okay. For one I think day, a dividend know? could stabilize it, right? If they were to come out and start saying, Hey, we're gonna start. I mean, they have the cash flow to do it. They have revenue coming in like crazy. Great. I mean, obviously they're cash spending dude. a ton of it on metaverse and everything else, but um, I mean, look, they gotta consolidate the company. My personal opinion, and like we always mention, guys, is that this is only our opinion, right? This is not investment advice or all that. You got to do your own diligence. Um, if they can figure out how to get around the Apple privacy, the potential Google cookies down the line, right? They have the Facebook pixels and everything else that they've integrated across to track you across the web. If they can figure out how to get their data together again, and it's probably going to be internal, right? All these companies are moving to that internal metric. Um, you bet Google is doing it. I mean, they're going to be completely fine, in my opinion. Austin and I have shared that with you all before. Um, if they can figure out the data play to where they can get back to charging three, four, 20 times as much as they're targeting, uh, charging for targeted ads right now, that's what could really see this thing just rip to the upside. If we get any whispers of that, you better believe there's probably going to be a nice little pop that day um, because that's where their revenue comes from. They target ads and don't let you forget that, right? They, they try to create their own software for the metaverse and the VR play. They ended up scrapping it. It runs on Android now, but they were trying to control the ecosystem, control ad placement, get their cuts. I mean, they were trying to do what Apple is doing with the app store and it makes a lot of sense, but they just couldn't pull it off. So if they can pull it off in the future, I would consider going long, but Mike, I agree with you at this time, I probably wouldn't touch it. And that's my take. Anyways, that is the last stock. Josh, go ahead and throw up that last slide. Now, I want to go ahead and ask everyone, thanks for hanging out with us for this hour, whether you were on social media channels, whether you were on the Zoom, we loved doing this. So if you can give us a stock you would like us to break down, analyze, do a little research for you on, we will take those into consideration for the next week's show because we always like to ask you to, if we can help. Dave, thanks for showing up. Uh, Danny, Dan, Christian, Anna, Enrique, Hans, everybody that's here with us in the chat. Saye, it was great breaking down your stock for you today. Um, Meta, of course, just has a little ways to go. Skip, uh, it's good to see everybody. Jorge, great. Have a great day. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Daniel Snyder. You can email us at stockmarketlive at seekingalpha.com. And Mike Saul, your email is michaels at seekingalpha.com, correct? Correct. All right, everybody. Well, let's go ahead and throw on a little bit of the jams. Start seeing those South picks. Also, don't forget, Alpha Picks has launched the new service by Seeking Alpha. You can go check it out right now. You get two stock picks every single month. It just makes everything easier. And on top of that, we are running a Labor Day sale. I should plan that, uh, put that in as well. Labor Day premium sale. I believe it's 50% off, isn't it, Mike? Correct. So it let's... Let's give back to the people a little bit for the Labor Day weekend. Let's get on out of here. Josh, go ahead and wrap it up.